Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight, inside the search for Cleo Smith, one of the senior police officers joins me. The new COVID rules coming in tonight right along the East Coast. What happens when Australia reaches its 70% vaccination milestone within hours? And the latest country set to reopen to Australian travellers. But first, the mother of four-year-old Cleo Smith has made a plea for information about her daughter's whereabouts. The police search resumed today after bad weather in Carnarvon in WA temporarily paused efforts to find the little girl. Cleo was last seen in the early hours of Saturday morning before her parents realised she was missing from their tent. You know, every day wants to wear a princess dress. Um, she's beautiful. She's so sweet. Um, yeah, she's everything that you'd want in a little girl to grow up and... Yeah. She would never leave that tent alone. Earlier I spoke with WA Police Inspector John Monday in McLeod, 900 kilometres north of Perth. Inspector, good to have some time with you. I know you're very busy. First question at the end of day four, just, just how worried are you at this stage? Look, we are extremely worried. We have grave concerns for the safety of, of Cleo. It's been four days now. Um, we've con- been conducting an extensive land search and sort of parallel to that we've been uh, have a team of investigators doing an investigative search as well and and unfortunately we just don't have um, answers after day four so we hold grave concerns and time is of the essence here this is a very very sort of harsh environment around here Um, prior to today it's been quite warm Today we've had very inclement weather, a lot of wind and rain. So, look, yeah, time is of the essence and it is really concerning that we're at day four. Inspector, one of the the developments today was launching an appeal uh, interstate. If if little Cleo is interstate, that would be a worst-case scenario. Is that likely, in your view? Look, it's certainly possible. Um, We're not ruling anything out. I mean, and one of the scenarios is that a third person third-party people have taken Cleo out of the search area and given we are now into day four, if that has occurred, Cleo could be uh, basically anywhere. So she could be interstate, that's why we've shared the um, shared the information with our law enforcement colleagues in every state and we're pu- just pushing it out. So yes, worst case scenario, she could be interstate. That's a remote spot there, Inspector. I saw some of the vision today. It seems hard to understand that someone would come in and take her, but nonetheless, you have to look at it. Does it make sense to you that she's, she could have been abducted in that fairly remote area? Look, there are a lot of people around here. I mean, it is a very popular place for campers um, and travellers to pass through. Um, we understand that there was sort of the, the night of Friday the... Uh, 15th, Saturday the 16th of October, 
there was probably in the vicinity of 30 or 40 people camped in and around the area. Look, this is an extremely unusual circumstance anywhere, uh, not just here, but um, extremely concerning that that is a potential possibility that's occurred right here in um, just north of Carnarvon. We heard from Cleo's parents today. They said that she just would never wander off alone. Of course, though, you have to consider that one possibility, though, I guess. Yes, yeah, certainly. And look, we that's why we're not uh, ruling anything out with this um, this operation as a whole. And, and the land search is an integral part of that. And, and we are not going to stop. Um, we're going to be here for as long as it takes until we can sort of walk away with our hand on our heart to say that we've searched everywhere. And it's unlikely that Cleo is in this uh, in this area. John, the really puzzling thing is the missing sleeping bag as well. Help me understand that. Yeah, look, it is. It, it is a mystery. The sleeping bag um, that Cleo was in is missing as well, um, which again is really, really concerning given the, given the circumstances. Um, and we're asking anybody uh, who's travelling around, whether it be anywhere near the near the blowholes or the the Carnarvon area, if they find a sleeping bag like that or see something like that, to give us a call because it is missing. We haven't found it within the search area um, and it could have been discarded by um, that sort of third party scenario. So it is very, very puzzling and that's why we need these answers quickly. It's a bit hard at the moment, I guess, but you always rely on public help in many circumstances. Anything the public can do tonight? Yes, yeah, certainly. Look, the public is integral to this and we have been receiving information from all over Australia already. We just need people to be vigilant. You know, the, the, the pictures of Cleo, if anybody sees anything, sees anything suspicious, no matter how small, just report it. It might be a little piece in a puzzle that um, sort of paints a bigger picture. So just report it, ring Crime Stoppers, ring Triple O, ring your local police, whatever you need to do, just get the info to us and we can, uh, we can look into it. Gee, it's heartbreaking, Inspector. I tell you what, she's such a little girl, a happy little girl. It just shouldn't happen. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't happen. I mean, this is a family, a uh, young family on a weekend camping trip at a place they've been to many, many times before. They're, they're Carnarvon locals, um, you know, and they have a very strong uh, community uh, network down there. So, look, it just shouldn't happen anywhere, but it's, it's really shaken the local community here. So... Um, we just need to yeah. solve this mystery. Absolutely, you do. All right, I know you're all working hard. Inspector John Monday, thank you for your time. Not a problem. Thank you. We're minutes away from seeing major changes for fully vaccinated travellers hoping to head from anywhere in New South Wales into Victoria. Let's bring in our reporter, Estelle Greepink, in Melbourne. Estelle, hello to you. So what is changing very shortly at midnight? Well, Michael, from 11.59, Victoria won't classify any area of New South Wales as a red zone, and that means that Greater New South Wales, Greater Sydney, sorry, and the ACT will become orange zones. That means that if you're fully vaccinated, you no longer need to quarantine or get a test upon arrival. If you haven't got both shots, though, yet, that means you will need to isolate until you get a negative test result within 72 hours of arrival. For regional New South Wales, that now becomes a green zone at midnight. And, the, and Broken Hill and Shepparton will rejoin the border community area as well. So it goes to show, Michael, that things are changing quite quickly and getting yeah. back to normal. Are they just? That's a good thing. Now, still big movements on the border front, as you've been saying, and a big week for the state, set to uh, its first reopening target by Thursday. For the unvaccinated, uh, pretty simply, you can forget about being any part of it.
Yes, absolutely, Michael. And the Premier was really strong on this today when he was speaking about vaccine passports. He made it pretty crystal clear that you cannot expect to have the same freedoms as fully vaccinated people if you aren't vaccinated. So not the same as what you can see in New South Wales by December 1. Let's take a listen now to what the Premier had to say. I'm not going to say to someone, oh, look, just wait us out, will you? Just, just, just wait four or five weeks and then you'll be able to go to the pub. No, if you make the judgment to not get vaccinated and you reckon you can wait out, this will be well into 2022. And Michael, this comes as the opposition argues that there soon won't be a need for vaccine passports. They say we should have most Victorians fully vaccinated by the start of next year. So they are questioning whether this is necessary. All right there. Estelle Greepink in Melbourne. Thank you. The window is fast closing tonight for hundreds of thousands of Queenslanders to receive a COVID vaccine. Authorities revealed the deadline for the state's unvaccinated, with this warning ahead of borders starting to reopen next month. We will be bringing in virus through the borders in vaccinated people. Every single Queenslander is going to get exposed to the COVID-19 virus and will get infected. But if you're vaccinated, that's not a problem. Well, Sally Guide has more details from Brisbane. Sally, hello to you. So how long do the unvaccinated have left? Well, Michael, Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk says Queenslanders have 12 days to meet the deadline and reach that 80% mark. Essentially, she wants to see 400,000 more people vaccinated to prepare for an imminent COVID outbreak. But even if we miss that vaccine target, it doesn't seem to matter, with the Premier confirming the dates on the roadmap are set in stone. Senior ministers today deployed across the state to persuade the public to get the jab. The sweetener, mask wearing, will be scrapped when we hit 80% double dose. Selling not everyone, though, is happy with the reopening plan. Who's taking issue with it? Well, Gold Coast Tom, Mayor Tom Tate has come out swinging, saying businesses could go broke waiting for the December 17 date. He's crunched his own numbers and says he thinks borders could be open sooner by the 1st of December. Now, the Brisbane Airport Corporation says while they are thankful there is a reopening plan, they say there are a number of concerning disparities between the different state roadmaps and thinks these vaccine targets and dates for relaxing borders will kill demand and profits in the Queensland travel industry. All right, Sally Guy there in Brisbane. Thank you. Well, taking a look at our vaccination numbers now, Australians have had just over 32.9 million doses of the COVID vaccine. In two days, on the 21st of October, 70% of eligible adults will have had both doses, though we could hit that milestone tomorrow. And in 14 days, on the 2nd of November, we'll hit the target of 80% fully vaccinated. Let's go to political reporter Rob Scott. Rob, hello to you. So officially we're going to hit that first National Cabinet reopening target in figures released on Thursday, but likely technically we will get there by the end of tomorrow. What exactly will we be seeing at that point? Well, Michael, according to the national plan, we can expect to see several gradual changes, the most notable being reduced quarantine requirements for vaccinated residents. Now, we know that New South Wales has already announced it'll be abolishing quarantine altogether for international travellers who have been double jabbed. That's from the 1st of November. That caught the Queensland Premier off guard and she's not happy. Today, she said that Dominic Perrottet had jumped the gun. But the ACT government announced today that it would align its quarantine arrangements with New South Wales, welcoming fully vaxxed travellers without the need to quarantine also from the 1st of November. Now, also under phase B of the national reopening plan, inbound passenger caps for unvaccinated returning travellers will be restored to those previous levels with larger caps for vaccinated travellers, really helping to get more Australia 
Australians home sooner. And we can also expect to see the slow return of student and economic visa holders and the booster program was also slated to begin. In fact, it already has with immunocompromised people already receiving a third jab. Now, when we hit 80%, which is in two weeks, as you said, that will trigger phase C of the reopening plan and even greater freedoms with all restrictions on outbound travel for vaccinated Australians lifted. And they'll also be exempt from all domestic restrictions as well. So quite a turnaround from where we were just a couple of months ago, Michael. All right. A lot happening. Rob Scott in Canberra. Thank you. Tomorrow there'll be major disruptions, delays and cancellations across Sydney's train network. Just as everyone's getting back about the place, commuters have been told tonight they'll be hard-pressed to find a prompt service as rail workers go on strike. My advice is if you don't have to travel tomorrow, please stay away from public transport. Think about the alternatives if you have to travel. Let's go live now to Tom Saker in Sydney. Tom, good evening to you. How many services are we talking about here being taken out by this industrial action? Well, Michael, about 70% of the network will be completely out of action tomorrow. The network will essentially be operating on a weekend timetable as these workers go on strike. They won't be using any of the Millennium and Waratah trains, which are privately manufactured. Part of the reason that they're striking is because the government said, they say the government is refusing uh, to rule out further privatisation of transport services in the future. That's one part. The other part is that the government is also refusing a 3.5% pay rise. But it will cause major disruptions and chaos on the transport network tomorrow. Also, flow-on effects with traffic as well. Uh, people have been told to simply avoid it altogether. And the union has also... Uh, already indicated that they won't hesitate to strike next week as well uh, uh, with a ban on overtime. But tomorrow certainly is the focus and people have been told to avoid it at all costs. Quite, you know, people are getting back to life though, Tom. A lot of Sydney siders need to get about in public transport. What's being done for them tomorrow? Yeah, well, Transport for New South Wales said there will be a number of replacement buses allocated on specific lines that include the T3 line, the airport, the T1 Western and the T5 line to Richmond. Uh, but they would need thousands of buses to compensate for the lack of trains on the network operating tomorrow. So, as I said, there will be massive uh, chaos at transport hubs around Sydney tomorrow. Uh, huge flow and effects with traffic. A very difficult few days for our new transport. Minister Rob Stokes, who is not coming to the negotiating table, but this has all been designed by the union to cause maximum disruption and maximum noise uh, to try and lure the government to the negotiating table on a day where, as you yeah. say, commuters are finally getting back into the swing of things, Michael. Yeah. All right, Tom Saker there in Sydney, thank you. The Prime Minister tomorrow begins the task of getting Cabinet behind his plan for net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Senior ministers will sit down for talks with Scott Morrison. A deal all but done despite splinters within the coalition on the issue. Barnaby Joyce says the Nationals will make up their minds by the end of the week. Three Penrith players have been fined and one has been stood down from the club after post-grand final celebrations. Tyrone Mays future with the team is uncertain and he's copped a $7,500 fine after a social media post. Teammates Nathan Cleary and Stephen Crichton have been fined too after they were filmed acting in a disrespectful manner to the Premiership trophy. And the remains of the iconic Hazelwood power plant in the Latrobe Valley came down today in a controlled demolition. Half a tonne of explosives was used, collapsing 20,000 tonnes of steel. For almost half a century, the power plant generated 
around a quarter of Victoria's electricity. China's post-pandemic recovery is falling short of forecasts, hitting its slowest pace quarterly growth in a year. For some insight, Network Finance editor Gemma Acton joins me now. Gemma, what's behind this slowdown? Well, unfortunately for China, a few headwinds hitting all at the same time, starting with a crippling power shortage. Uh, many countries around the world have been affected by soaring global energy prices, uh, but it's really hit industrial production in China hard. And it has coincided with uh, the play out of government policies. Government has been trying to rein in carbon emissions there. So between the soaring energy prices and the government mm. policies, we've seen a real slowdown in factory output particularly for very big industries like steel and cement. Another big headwind the Chinese economy is facing right now is property, yeah. uh, which counts for around 30% of the economy. That sector is cooling very, very fast. Again, government policies play a big role in this. Uh, for years, Chinese property companies borrowed extraordinary amounts of money. The government did crack down on that, as rightly mm. so, uh, a, little, a little back. Um, but now we're seeing run into trouble, for instance, Evergrande, the very famous case, which has really, really rattled investors and home buyers' nerves. The question is, to what extent will this spread and contaminate the rest of the Chinese property sector? We're already seeing some evidence it is. Global investors are very cautious about Chinese property now. Many won't touch it for the time being. Uh, domestic home buyers are getting very nervous on the back of how much house prices have risen in China in recent years and the fact that we are seeing now many people who paid for apartments are never going to get them. Now, there are a couple of bright spots still in the economy from yesterday's numbers. Um, consumer spending is proving to be very resilient. Retail sales holding up better than expected. So the impact here is what? Well... China is the world's second biggest economy, so anything that happens there has an outsized impact on the global economy. Uh, for us here in Australia, it's even more important because we export so much to them, uh, not least in the way of commodities, which has really helped prop up our own economy in the past year when we've been dealing with COVID. Now, the Chinese government does have wiggle room to adjust its policies to help the economy through a tough patch, both when it comes to the environment uh, and also when it comes to the property sector. And no doubt they will. Nonetheless, that hasn't stopped a lot of analysts at major banks in the last couple of days really sharply downgrading their forecast for the Chinese economy. In the coming hours, Netflix will release its latest results and market watchers are paying close attention to the numbers after the phenomenal success of the show Squid Game. Uh, lockdown has been a boom for Netflix, but some struggles? Yes, yeah, so they boomed at the start of lockdown, but since then they found a little harder to maintain that cracking pace that they set. Uh, they've also seen competition really ramp up, most particularly from their fiercest competitor at the moment, which is Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus obviously has an incredible back catalogue of production. They've got Pixar and Marvel and Star Wars, Disney itself. Mm. Uh, they also have decades and decades of global marketing spend behind them. So looking at Disney Plus, they started less than two years ago, but have already amassed around 116 million subscribers. And that compares to Netflix, which is still ahead on 212 million subscribers. Uh, but the competition is, is really there, not just from Disney Plus. You see really deep pocketed competitors like Apple, yeah. Amazon have big plays, traditional media companies as well launch their own streaming services. So it's a really fraught battleground at the moment. And it looks like content is what you're going to need to, to win from here. If we just look at how many households 
use streaming services, estimated around 75% of households in the US and even more here, around 80%. So people love their streaming services, but as we come out of lockdown, are people really going to need multiple yeah. streaming services? Um, people seem to also love original programming, original content, and they, they are key to these platforms, not so much the libraries that they also possess. And Squid Game, which I have not seen, is one of them. I've got Huge to admit, success. I haven't actually seen it either. It has been an astonishing success. If we look at that a few different ways, firstly, uh, it was only released about a month ago, but Netflix's share price since then has risen by 7%, and that's against a market that's actually gone backwards in that time. And a lot of that is being attributed to Squid Game and what they think that's done to subscriber numbers. We'll obviously find out more tonight on how many new subscribers they think Squid Game has caused. But this was... I think it's fair to say it's something of a surprise smash hit. It cost less than 30 million Australian dollars to make and they're expecting it to reap around $1.2 billion for Netflix. It had 111 million views in the first month. The second place after them is Bridgerton, which only had 82 million, so a huge difference between them there. And this is exactly the kind of original content, as you said, Michael, that Netflix needs to prove it can produce to keep getting those global subscribers. Subscriber growth in its home market of the US has really slowed down. They actually lost subscribers uh, in recent quarters, uh, but this is the kind of thing they, they need to, to do to show that they can really get there. Interesting. All right, Jim, thank you for that. Thanks, Michael. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The symbolic handover of the Winter Olympics torch has taken place in Athens tonight. Our Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfeld is live in the Greek capital tonight. Hugh, hello to you. Take us through the ceremony. Well, Michael, it was all looking a little bit different. Uh, the flame spent the night here in Athens at the Acropolis before arriving here at the Panathenaic Stadium in Athens on the back of a car where it was collected by a Greek torchbearer, the water polo champion Evie. Moritaidu, who carried the flame into the stadium here. Of course, this was where the first modern Olympic Games were held in 1896. That Beijing torch, red and white, red representing fire, white representing snow or ice, and there's some design elements there that are very similar to the torch from the 2008 Summer Games. Of course, Beijing, the first city to host the Summer and the Winter Olympics. Uh, the flame was passed to a Chinese athlete, the champion skier Li Ni Na. And after spending a little bit of time in a mini cauldron in the middle of the stadium here, the flame was handed over to the vice president of the Beijing organizing committee, Zhu Zaiqing, Yu Zaiqing rather. Uh, and from in that lantern, the, uh, the flame is now on its way to Beijing. Once it was in that lantern, it was in the custodianship of the Chinese. It was marched out by four athletes in uh, white tracksuits. Uh, it'll arrive in Beijing in about 12 to 14 hours' time. There'll be a ceremony for its arrival 
into China uh, and it'll go on display. There's no torch relay, again because of COVID, uh, but we are told that it will go on a flame exhibition tour. Not quite sure what that will look like, but it's all going to be very different ahead of the uh, yeah. Winter Games beginning on February 4th, Michael. And it all looked pretty smooth there, Hugh, unlike last night's lighting of the flame in ancient Olympia. There were no protesters to be seen today. Yeah, pretty big security presence on the outskirts uh, of the stadium. It's pretty clear that the Greeks and the Chinese, no doubt, were concerned about further protests after a number of activists managed to get into the ruins of ancient Olympia while that flame lighting ceremony was ongoing, including unfurling banners, including the Tibetan flag uh, and another one that described the Beijing Games as the genocide games. Those activists were arrested and taken to a local police station. Pretty embarrassing for the Olympic movement. There are ongoing questions about China's human rights record, yeah. uh, pressure on the IOC to take a further stand and, and even calls from some parts for a diplomatic uh, boycott at the very least. But nonetheless, the Games are going ahead 108 days time, as I say, with plenty of new winter sports as well and plenty of medal chances for the Aussies too, Mike. We will look forward to that. That's the best part. All right, Hugh Whitfield there, Athens, Greece. Thank you. South Korea has summoned the National Security Council over North Korea's latest weapons test. The regime launched at least one ballistic missile off the east coast. Monitors say it could have been launched from a submarine. Japanese, South Korean and American intelligence chiefs are reportedly meeting in Seoul to discuss that situation. An unfortunate case of mistaken identity to report tonight. A man resembling US murder suspect Brian Laundrie caught up in the search for Gabby Petito's fiancé. The lookalike had been on a hiking trip when he woke up in a lodge to marshals with their guns drawn. Officers realised their turpos were wrong after a close-up look and an ID check, suggesting he shave his beard so he is not confused again. And the gang that kidnapped 17 US and Canadian missionaries in Haiti is asking for $1 million each for their release. The FBI and Haitian authorities are communicating with the gang and say negotiations could take weeks. Five children, including an eight-month-old, are among those being held for ransom. Another popular Asian travel destination, Vietnam, will start welcoming back vaccinated tourists next month as COVID cases continue to fall. Our reporter Olivia Leeming joins us live from Bangkok. Liv, good evening to you. So parts of Vietnam had been in strict lockdown but seems to have paid off. What's the situation like there now? Yeah, good evening, Michael. They're finally experiencing some relief after some of the strictest restrictions in the world. In Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh, the largest city, uh, people weren't allowed to leave their homes since July. They had to bring the military in. They were delivering food to people's houses, all of the factories manufacturing some of the biggest brand names in the world, like Samsung, Nike, all forced to close. Uh, we saw cases peak at around 16,000 a day. Uh, so a strict lockdown down for about three months. It's only since the start of October that finally businesses have reopened again. People are allowed out and about. Uh, the cases have plunged now to around 3,000 a day. So a significant improvement, uh, though the vaccination rate is still lagging. It's great in the cities. In Ho Chi Minh, about 98% of people, so nearly everyone, has received at least one jab. Uh, but in, in broader Vietnam, the rest of the country, right. less than 20% of, of the population is fully vaccinated. So they're trying to accelerate that. That will be key to fully reopening again and get that revenue from international tourism flowing again as well. Yeah, now Australians live could be allowed in for next month. What's the plan for tourism? 
Yeah, so from next month, they're starting to gradually reopen. The sort of hustle and bustle of Hanoi will still be off limits, but if there's anyone who's looking for a relaxing beach holiday, they're starting with the island of Phu Quoc. So this is Vietnam's largest uh, resort island, pristine beaches, white sands. It'll be incredibly quiet at the moment, as you can imagine. Uh, but anyone who's fully vaccinated will be able to arrive there, stay there without having to quarantine. And the plan is if if that goes well, that they will gradually in December open more tourist sites. So they're looking at Halong Bay, which is the beautiful UNESCO World Heritage Site, as well as uh, the historic city of Hoi An. So the goal is that uh, all of Vietnam should be reopened again to international tourism by June next year. So not too yeah. far off. And right next door there, we have Cambodia, obviously. It's preparing to reopen. They, they now have, a live, we read, one of the highest vaccination rates in the world. Yeah, so while Vietnam's sort of lagged on the vaccination front, uh, Cambodia is saying it has now reached herd immunity. So nearly 80% of the entire population is fully vaccinated. And that will be a big selling point for Cambodia. They are pitching themselves as uh, one of the safest countries in this part of the world to travel to. Uh, so cases had risen to around 1,000 a day. They obviously have a much smaller population than Vietnam and even Australia. Uh, but now they've dropped down to their lowest level since April. It's less than 200 a day. So yeah. that's a really encouraging sign for them as they prepare to reopen as well. That is an extraordinary effort in that country. I mean, how easy is it going to be to travel to Cambodia then? So, again, a gradual approach. They have already reduced quarantine for anyone wanting to travel to Cambodia from 14 days. Now it's just seven days for any visitors, uh, for anyone travelling there for business. It's even less, just three days if you're fully vaccinated. And you do have to bring a negative COVID test that's been taken in 72 hours before your arrival. But the plan is to reduce that quarantine period even further and then hopefully eliminate it altogether over coming months so that Australians can return. Though what is a difficult uh, challenge for a country like Cambodia for Australians is that there's no direct flights from Australia to Cambodia. You usually have to travel either via Singapore uh, or here in Bangkok. So they are sort of at the mercy yeah. of these other layover countries, what the uh, travel restrictions are like over there. But yeah. as we've seen in Thailand and Singapore as well, the general sentiment in this region is to try and reopen and get yeah. international tourism flying again as soon as possible. Well, both Michael. those big hubs like Bangkok where you are and uh, Singapore are really starting to open up, so they will lead to more opportunities. Good to talk to you from Bangkok tonight. Olivia Leeming, thank When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you. Now, Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. Thanks, Michael. There was green on the board throughout much of Asia today, helped by technology stocks, which have underperformed in recent weeks, and recovery buying after weaker Chinese data yesterday caused a mild sell-off.
Here in Australia, weakness in miners tipped the local index into the red, despite a decent day for many other sectors. Earnings season continues apace in the US, with Netflix among the bigger names to watch tonight. All indices are pointing to a higher open, with yesterday's strongest performer, the Nasdaq, set for the weakest start. Oil is still heading higher. That's after a minimal pullback last night, while the Aussie dollar has hit its highest level since early September. Michael. Well, thank you, Gemma. It has been showtime tonight in Sydney, the first Hamilton performance since the pandemic shutdown, wrapping up in just the last little while. After a four-month hiatus, its first major musical, it's the first rather major musical to return to the Lyric Theatre. Tomorrow night, it's the turn of another big production, Come From Away, back in action at the Capitol Theatre. And Hollywood star Chris Hemsworth has accepted an invitation to visit Cowra after the New South Wales town staged a campaign to entice him. He posted on Instagram that he's currently overseas, but next year he'll be coming in hot. Cowra's tourism manager, Glenn Daly, says he couldn't believe the Get Chris to Cowra campaign had worked and that the town was very much looking forward to uh, rolling out the red carpet. It's been a fun campaign, that. Well, thank you for your company this evening from the team here at 7 News. That is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a good night.